Tuesday is October 31st, which many in our country will celebrate Halloween, uh, which, if I could just go ahead and say this, um, was a Christian holiday first. Uh, we had it first. Um, so, first of all, let's get that out of the way. But it's also a very important day in church history and in and world history because it was on October 31st in 1517 that Martin Luther nails his 95 theses to the church door, All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And that, that moment is often considered the act that sparked the Protestant Reformation, of which we, whether we're Baptists, maybe we're Methodists at a Baptist church, whatever we might be in a Protestant tradition, we trace our theological lineage back to that. And so what I'd like for us to do this morning is, is talk about what we received out of the Reformation. And one of the summaries is the five solas, or the five sole, if you want to do it in Latin. And we want to confess the five solas, and we want to do that as a congregation. And so we're going to do a responsive reading where uh, I'm going to lead us and you are going to respond and we're going to confess our faith together as we talk about the Protestant Reformation and the tradition that comes out of that. So uh, you will read what's on the next screen. I'll ask a question and you will read what's on the next screen in italics, okay? So I know we just... We've never, we haven't done this before, in, or at least in a while, so, uh, but to encourage you to think of this as participating, as confessing the faith as a church, I'm actually going to ask you to stand again. We want you to be active in worship. Uh, so, here we go. Church. We believe in sola scriptura. What does sola scriptura mean? Because scripture is God's inspired word, it is our only inerrant, sufficient, and final authority for saving faith, knowledge, and obedience. Church, we believe in solus Christus. What does solus Christus mean? Christ alone is the basis on which we, as ungodly sinners, are justified in God's sight. Church, we believe in sola fide. What does sola fide mean? Church, we believe in sola gratia. What does sola gratia mean? The scriptures reveal that every aspect of our salvation from beginning to end is by grace and grace alone. Church, we believe in soli deo gloria. What does soli deo gloria mean? Because all Church, what is it we believe concerning our great salvation? 
Let's pray together. Father, it may seem... It may seem like something that we should just move past, but the Reformation happened over 500 years ago. And yet, Lord, we are reminded of these great truths that Scripture reveals that Christ alone is our salvation, and we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Lord, I hope that this reminder encourages us that Christ is our assurance, that Christ has been revealed as our salvation, and that revelation can be trusted. That revelation ought to lead us to praise and give glory to God alone for our salvation. And that that salvation is ours because your, because of your kindness, your grace, and God, that we receive it by faith. It is given to us freely. God, let that be our assurance. Let these five truths be the bedrock, God, that we know that we have eternal life. Lord, as our brother comes to bring the word to us about how we can pray for one another, Lord, how we can pray rightly and in accordance with your word for one another. God, help us to have open hearts and minds to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, it is not lost, it should not be lost on us that as we're about to hear intercessory prayer, all of us in this room have confessed that faith together. And if we are Christians, if we are brothers and sisters in Christ, God, regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of our, our status, Lord, we are united by faith in Christ. And because we're united, we get the privilege and the honor to pray for one another. So, Lord, open our hearts and minds in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. waiting for it to get awkward. Good morning. Good morning. Been a while, y'all. Uh, it's good to be back here. Um, specifically at Poplar, but it's also good to be behind this thing. I like the guitar, but it's, it was I got to do this for about a year in South Carolina as an interim pastor at a church, um, and it was good. Um, I have already been warned this morning, um, that I am not to use my wife or my daughter as teaching illustrations. <laughs> However, Jenna did give me permission to use the Kellen kids. So, right? <laughs> um, I, I won't be using the Kellen kids in this sermon. So, um, another time perhaps. But, I'm really excited to share this morning. I'm thankful uh, for Jason to give me the opportunity. Um, and I, I asked him specifically about this 
um, because on the prayer emphasis Sundays, it's been really great. But one of the things that I got to do while we were in South Carolina as the interim pastor for the church was I led prayer, prayer meetings on Wednesday nights. Um, and ours was, you know, probably what was more typical than not. It was a very simple gathering, really hovered around um, updating a prayer list and a Bible study with about two and a half minutes worth of praying, and then we would go. And so when I, for better or worse, became in charge as the interim pastor, I wanted to change that. And so we did a, an extensive study through all of Paul's letters, studying every prayer that he wrote down for every church that he wrote, every person that he wrote, wherever he mentioned, and I pray, whenever he mentioned that, we took, a, took that aspect of that letter and looked at it on prayer meeting night, and then we used that in our praying time. Um, if you picked it up, and if you didn't, there's plenty of copies later, this is the culmination of that study. Um, after we finished it, um, I got to thinking, you know, if, if there's ever been a time where you felt like you really needed to do more in praying, and that's one of those invasive questions. If somebody walks up to you and says, hey, how's your prayer life? You kind of feel like, like, hey, let me look at your bedroom right now. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, not, it's dirty, it's, you know, it's not clean, don't, you know, goodness gracious, that's, that's a little personal. But really, you know, the life of a, for prayer and the life of a Christian is, is meant to be default. Praying without ceasing, right, as Paul said in, in one of his letters to the Thessalonican church. Um, and so thinking about that and how sometimes people get afraid to pray, but they wouldn't hesitate to run into a burning building to save their child or their, their valued possessions or whatever it was, but were afraid to approach God in prayer, I'm like, I'm going to condense this, that study. And so what you have in front of you, um, if you take one, is a bulleted uh, approach to everything that Paul prayed. And so some of the stuff, you know, that we typically pray for, we either have an excuse, you'll, you'll hear people say this, I don't know what to say, right? You ever heard somebody say that, like, hey, would you mind praying for us before we begin our thing? Uh, you know, I'd rather not pray in front of people. Well, why not? I, I don't know what to say. Okay, fair enough. Well, we don't want to embarrass anybody, so you don't. The other one is, when, when sometimes we pray, there's a default setting that some people fall into, which is prayers hover around strictly physical needs, right? Things like, uh, I got a doctor's appointment coming up, be in prayer for that. Um, got a procedure coming up. My neighbor just found out that they have, or praying that God would heal, you know, and those are not wrong ways to pray. Please don't hear me say, don't ever pray for things physical, but what was interesting when we did this study through Paul's prayers was that that was not the common way that Paul prayed. In fact, there were only three times, well, one time that Paul shared a personal prayer of his uh, that he had prayed that had to do with a physical ailment, and it was about the thorn, that he said, you know, I prayed to God that this physical aspect, this thing torturing me would leave me, and God's answer was no. My grace is sufficient, Right? And then that reminded me of two other times in Scripture when God answered the request for a prayer for something with a physical aspect. No. One of those was with King David when he prayed for his son to be spared. Remember that when his son got sick? And David fell on his face, wouldn't eat. He was in anguish, praying for the child to live. 
But God said no. God did not allow the child to live. The child died. David got up, washed his face, got something to eat, and went to the, house, went to the sanctuary to worship. Like he, he just went on, right? And then the other time was to Jesus. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Referring to the ordeal that he knew he was about to go in, right? It was a daunting task. It was huge. If it's your will, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done, right? And there God's answer again was no, and thankfully so. Jesus obediently went to the cross. For God so loved the world that he sent, right, his son. And Jesus went, and I'm thankful. But that's something I thought was very interesting when we see how Paul prays. You read things like he prayed that their faith is proclaimed and the gospel is shared. They prayed that, uh, that church attendance was faithful, that people would go to church. That they in their household, that somebody in their household would be saved. That they would have unity and fellowship and love with one another. They would grow in their faith, rooted and built up in Christ. They'd be filled with joy, peace, hope, comfort, the fullness of God, the fruit of righteousness, and so on. And you can read that for yourself. Use that as a help if you feel a burden to pray but aren't really sure what to pray. Um, But what I want to do is zoom in on one specific prayer And that's the one in the book of Colossians, chapter 1. We're going to spend our time in Colossians this morning. And I'm going to call this sermon the greatest prayer that a person can pray for a brother or sister in Christ. Now, if you disagree with me after this sermon, come talk to me about it. I'm happy to disagree. That's fine. But it would make for a great conversation. But I want to make the point, and I think I can show by the Scripture why I consider this to be the greatest prayer that any person can pray for a brother or sister in Christ. Um, So being in the book of Colossians, before we begin, I want to pray for us, and um, and then we'll begin. Lord, thank you so much for this letter. Thank you for, um, by your Spirit, you gave these words to Paul for us to have today. Lord, I pray that we are humbled before you. I pray that we are open before you. I pray that we are teachable before you this morning. And God, that you, through your word, renew our minds and transform our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have studied the book of Colossians for about 10 years. Um, it It is my favorite book. I love all of the Bible. I spend a lot of time everywhere else in the Bible, but I always seem to end back up in Colossians. It was, one of, it was the book that God used in a great way in my life, in a very, very difficult time in my life. And since then, no matter where I am in Scripture, it points to two things, Jesus and Colossians. And I don't know why that is. And honestly, when I get to preach out of Colossians, I'm, like, Jenna was asking, like, what, where are you going to be preaching from this morning? And I said, Colossians. And both Jenna and Ada were like, yeah. Yeah, we probably could have figured that. It's just where I go. And so but here, when, what I think I look like when I'm talking about Colossians is this. They've got that picture back there. <laughs> right? Colossians by Captain Smooth. Right? Captain just sounded cooler than like professor or doctor in my opinion. But what, in reality, what I'm afraid of is I end up looking more like this. You can be the judge, okay? But as we begin this morning, we're going to look at two, three verses 
verses 9, 10, and 11. Let's look at that together as I read. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11. Now, I know in the ESV that begins with and, which connects it to the previous idea, but I'm going to let you go back in your own context and read that. But trust that I have studied this in context, and I know I'm just focusing in on the prayer aspect of it. Verse 9, and so, Paul writes by inspiration of the Spirit, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Mm. Mm, that's a good prayer, isn't it? I want to quickly break it down. Let's look at this, let's break it down real quick. If we were to ask the question, what's the focal point of the prayer? I think exactly where Paul started, that you may be filled with knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what he asks, right? My prayer is that this happens, that you are filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, those three words, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, what does that pertain to? It's, it's mind, right? It has to do with the mind. Paul's prayer for the Colossians, these Christians here gathered, is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, wisdom, and understanding. A prayer that affects, that he prays would affect their mind, their thinking, their intellect, and their spiritual eyes and ears. Because that's how we take things in. And so, to what end, though, is the question. Like, if that's what he prayed, like, I pray that you're filled with knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. I already spit just a little bit, if you caught that, so I'm already turning into the mad scientist. But, um, and forgive me if I have to take a sip. Um, uh, Somebody had already asked me before we came in here today if I'm getting over a cold. I am, but it just means my throat gets insanely dry every now and then, and I have to do take a sip, so please forgive that. Um, So to what end? Like Paul, I appreciate you saying that and praying that, but to what end? What's the purpose? Well, he goes into that in the very next section. So that, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Well, let's break that down a little bit. Paul prays that we're filled with knowledge, wisdom, and understanding so that we walk worthy right? Walking worthy means holy living, living in sanctification. Everything you do in word or deed, your life, your walk, your every day is worthy of the Lord. Now, we know by what we just participated in that we don't earn the Lord, but after he has done what he has done through Christ for us by grace, then we in turn, out of gratitude, live in thanks for him by, by striving to live that holy life. Not to win him, not to earn him, not to keep him, but to thank him. And so Paul says, I pray that the wisdom, knowledge, and strength that I pray God gives you will bring about a worthy walk in your life. And also, so that worthy walk, you'll be fully pleasing to God. I don't know about you, but I like it when I find out that somebody's pleased with me. Now, there's an aspect of me that doesn't care. (laughs) 
when somebody's like, I'm not happy how you did that, Brother Jesse. And I'm like, well, you know what? I'll learn from that and move on. I appreciate your input. And I, and I, do, I don't dismiss it. I just I don't go home and lose sleep over it. You know what I'm saying? But when somebody comes and says, hey, I really appreciate one, two, three, right? Or whatever it is. That really, it matters, right? You're like, man, you know, what I did mattered. And it helps. How much more so then would it be that we find out that what we are doing is pleasing to God? That he looks down at us at any given point in our life and he sees us and he says, I'm pleased. You know, we all think about it in terms of the end of our life and being in front of him and hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But honestly, y'all, I think every day, like, Lord, if you were to come today, would you say that? If you right now showed up and, and took me home in this moment, would you be pleased? But Paul's prayer is that what he prayed, the wisdom and knowledge and understanding for us would affect our walk, make us worth, help us walk worthy of him, to be fully pleasing, to bear fruit, to be productive, not just successful. This isn't tied to monetary things. This is more tied to the fruitful spiritual expression of the inward faithful reality, right? I mean, if I were to bring you to my house and say, hey, this is my favorite apple tree. It's a beautiful apple tree. It's been growing for years. We sit under its shade. It's gorgeous. And then you ask me, well, how are the apples? And I say, it's never grown a single apple. You're like, well, that's one, you know, that's decent, I guess. But really, the sign of a healthy apple tree is what? Apples, right? The sign of a healthy Christian is outwardly expressed fruit. The overflow of a life lived to walk worthy and to be pleasing to God. And it's evident, just like apples are evident on a tree, it's something that can be seen like light on a, on a, on a stand, right? Not under a bushel, but on a stand. So that's the end that Paul describes. But then you hit that last part, to walk worthy, to be fully pleasing, to bear fruit, and to increase in the knowledge of God. Now, this whole prayer started with what? The knowledge, right? Praying that you be filled with knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And as that happens, you'll walk worthy, you'll bear fruit, you'll be pleasing to him, and increase in what? In knowledge. As, a, as we read that, you're like, why the double emphasis? Whenever something like this pops up in Scripture where there's a double emphasis, you can think about it two ways. One, there's bookends. Two, there's, there's just an emphasis added. I think looking at this prayer in means of a progression. I think there's a knowledge that God gifts Christians, that God gifts his people as he has called them to himself, opens their eyes, right? Because we're not saved by how much we learn about Jesus, that would be salvation by intellect. We're not saved by what we do for Jesus. That would be salvation by works. We are saved because God, who is gracious and merciful, made alive that which was dead. Now, what does a dead man think? Nothing. What does a dead man do? Nothing. But when God made us alive in him, he has done something for us. He has opened our eyes and opened our ears that we may see him, hear his call, and respond. There's a knowledge that he gifts us, I think, at the point of salvation. Kind of a basic, the ABCs, right? Some of the basic things. 
I think as we learn those basic things and begin to absorb them, understand them, that God then brings that about in our life into that walking worthy, living, you know, uh, being fruitful, being pleasing. But did you know that as we do that, we learn more about him? I don't know about you, but there was a distinctive point in my life where my, my thinking about God fundamentally changed. And I'm not saying I didn't know God before and I was, was a completely different person. It was just a very different way of thinking. And that's when Ada was born. Understanding God as Father, the patience of a parent, the grace of a parent, the sacrifice of a parent, the willing to take it because of love for a child, some of that became far more evident to me as we were raising Ada than I, could have, than I understood it prior. That doesn't mean that knowledge is kept from us as we study Scripture. It just opened my eyes and, my eyes and ears to a different perspective that I hadn't seen before. Knowledge that before that I knew but really didn't. You know what I mean? There's a difference between knowing something and knowing something, right? Like I could tell you that the theme, the, the, for every Tennessee Vol fan, they're you know, in their head at any given point in time, you hear Rocky Top. You can know that, like, oh, Rocky Top, that's the song of the Tennessee Volunteers. It's a completely different thing to hear that thing sung in Neyland Stadium. That's experiential wisdom. That's walking with it wisdom. That's being in the, in the midst of it wisdom. And I think as we grow in him, the things that we know about God, and as we're walking in him, trusting in him, obeying him, we're growing fruit as he's bringing that about in our life, we then learn more of him. We see more of him. We understand more of him. And there is an increase that comes in obedient living, an increase in knowledge of him, understanding of him. Not everybody, right when they become a Christian, understands what it means to suffer for Christ. Not everybody, right when they become a Christian, understands what it means that God may mean it for good for him to say no to you. That's not a lesson that's easily learned. That's a lesson that kind of comes in maturity, isn't it? To be able to thank God for saying no, to thank God for taking rather than giving. That's a hard lesson to learn, but I believe it's one that comes as we trust in him, walk in, with him, and allow him to grow our faith in him every single day. That's why we, Paul begins his prayer in wisdom, and ultimately it brings about more understanding and knowledge of God. Question. Do you know God and his word better today than you did a year ago? How about 10 years ago? What about since you were saved? That's something we ought to really ponder. For Christians, that ought to be a question we ask, because God's given us his word, right? Matt did such a great job when he was here showing to us like God's, this is God's revealed word. These are God's words. When we read these words, we're not reading just antiquity, you know, history. These are God's preserved, spirit-breathed words as though he spoke them to us, for us. And so when we read this text... We are spending time with the heart, mind, will, 
of God. But do we know him any better when we were saved today than we knew him then? Let me ask this question a different way. Apply it to your spouse. How well do you think a marriage is doing if a husband doesn't know his wife any better today than he did when they got married? It'd be kind of sad, wouldn't it? You know, how long have y'all been married? In all seriousness, how long have y'all been married? 43 years? Victor, what's your favorite color? Your favorite color? Yeah. <laughs> <B> huh? <laughs> <laughs> Live action newlywed game. It's green. My, see my point? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but the, the point is, like, as we got to know the person that we married leading up to that point of marriage, that's, that's the, the courting, the excitement, the, the allure. There, there's something, you know, that's special about that. But then once you get down that aisle, I do, I do, boom. Preacher signs it, send it in before God and witnesses, and it's official. For a guy to just check out completely, gotcha. Let me know if you need anything. <laughs> that, is, that would not make for a good relationship, would it? No, you want, you, you like to see that husband and wife over the years learn beyond those initial things to some of the things that are just, you can only learn by walking with them every day, listening to them every day, praying for them every day, with them every day. And there's an aspect of understanding God and his word that only comes when we walk with him. That's what Paul says, I pray that you're filled with this wisdom, that it brings about a worthy walk for the Lord, that it brings about fruit in your life, that you're pleasing to God, and that you continue to grow in understanding Him, in knowing Him, knowing His Word, knowing His will. Man, time goes by fast. Okay, so even more knowledge, right? Now what? Well, Paul says, as that knowledge continues to grow in you, he says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Think about these things individually. Strength according to God's might. Endurance. Patience. Joy. Thankfulness. These are the things that the world wants, right? The world wants endurance and perseverance. The world wants patience. The world wants joy, or rather happiness, fulfillment. But those things are really only found in Christ. True strength only comes when we understand that our absolute desperate need for him as Paul learned in his prayer, my grace is sufficient, my power is made perfect in your weakness as God's response to him. And so Paul said, then I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because it means I need you more. Endurance, James tells us, you know, consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds because, you know, the testing of your faith develops endurance, perseverance, 
How many of us look at difficulties with a thankful heart because we know that we're being made better for him? When's the last time that's ever happened? And I'm, I'm, I'm including myself because the temptation is, why me, God? I've been good. <laughs> I went to church. I got the kids to church. We didn't even fight on the way. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. And now this? That's the temptation, isn't it? I've earned better than this, God. But Paul says, Mm-mm. when that comes, we say, God, thank you for refining me, reminding me that I need you, that I don't do it myself, I don't do it for you, I don't do it to earn you, to keep you, to win you. Every day that you give me is a gift, and every day, whether difficult or smooth, whether easy or heavy, whether enjoyable or painful, is an opportunity to know your grace more. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So that all comes as a result of that increase in knowledge. And then as we faithfully follow him, we increase in our understanding more. And that continues to bear more fruit on the other side of that, making us mature, complete in him. Paul's, you know, dealt with this lacking of fruit before in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He wrote, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. There have been times where I've, I look back in my life, I remember praying for a wife before I met Jenna. I spent a lot of time praying for a wife, y'all. A lot of time. And God kept saying, no, I was 30 before I met Jenna. And I wanted to meet Jenna when I was like 17. I was praying for a wife. I didn't know what I was praying for at the time, Victor. But when God brought Jenna, when it was his time, when apparently I was only, only then ready, right? God doesn't withhold things because he doesn't want his children to enjoy good things. No, God gives graciously but God's not going to give you what you're not ready for. So if we're walking along sipping on a milk bottle of his word, he's not going to throw a steak at you. You need to, keep, you need to process that milk and let him do its work and let it continue that work to bring you about to solid food. It's, a, it's meant to be that process. A deepening, understand, a deepening understanding of God and his word is not a special calling either. And I have heard people say this. Like, what are you reading in the Bible? What are you, what are you, what's God doing in your life right now? You know, and, and their response is, you know, well, I, you know, I, I kind of, I try to read, but, I, you know, I'm busy at work and, you know, got the kids and just you try to get time with them. And, but then you press them a little bit, like, well, why aren't you reading in the Bible? And I've, I've had people snap this response back to me. Well, dude, I ain't a preacher. Yeah. You ever had somebody say that? Yeah. yeah. It's a sad response. It's a, it's a response that says that, you know, this church is, I, I hope you realize, Poplar Spring is the exception. This is one of the most Bible-digging, Bible-studying churches I have ever been at. Hands down. 
And, it, and, it, and it's not just from here. And Jason does a great job. But it's every Sunday school teacher, every individual, the D groups, talking to Chris the other day about what they've been doing in, in their Bible reading and how they've been pushing them. I'm just like, this church is the exception. Sadly, the rule in a lot of churches is the most that people get from the Bible every week is in this hour. And they hope that that sustains them to the next gathering. Christians out every week, starving, emaciated. What's that bad breath called when you're hungry? You know what I'm talking about? You ever, you ever smell that? What is it called? That! Thank you, nurse. <laughs> halitosis. Christians walking around with halitosis because they're not feeding on the Word. They come and get a little bit on Sunday, and they're like, mm, that, was, that was really good. But they're so malnourished, so nation, it just doesn't, it, it hits them a little bit, but then they go out the next day and the next day and the next day, malnourished, starving. And it's no wonder that Christians gobble up whatever's in front of them because they're so malnourished, they're not used to good food. Paul says, I want you Christians to be used to good food. Come to church and get it. Come to church and hear the pastor prepare the meal for you. But then go home and cook. What a silly idea it would be for Jenna, Ada, and I to go to El Perico. That's where we go. You know, we, we really like that place. It was recommended to us, and we go very well every Sunday, and we feast. Big meal. Two or three entrees apiece. And we, we just gorge ourselves because we know that for the rest of the week, we're not going to cook. We're not going to prep any meals. We're not going to open a can. We're not going to do anything. So we hope that what we eat on Sunday gets us to the next Sunday without fainting. We wouldn't do that. Ada was starving to death. I, I'm sorry, I, I've got to use you for a minute. It's just a perfect fit. Ada was, we had kind of an early dinner last night, so by the time bedtime rolled around, Ada was, to her expression, starving to death. And I'm like, she's like, she's like, Dad, I'm, I'm starving, I'm starving. And I'm, and I'm, you know, trying to be, you know, a teaching moment. Like, remember how Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and then became hungry? And I was like, you've, you've been without food for four hours, you'll be all right. She's like, but what do I do? And I'm like, just ask Jesus to help you. You'll, you'll make it till morning. And then she wakes up, and I'm like, I've got your food ready. She's like, I'm not hungry. And I'm like, oh, oh, the irony. But anyway, we need to close. We're getting close to the end here. I promise. I want to throw you a couple of references out here because there was a question that popped up in Matthew that's indicative to this, what we're talking about here, the reason why Paul is praying this way for the Christians in Colossae. In, in Matthew, there are five different instances where Jesus asked this question. Have you not read? And that question should, should carry a different weight to it after what we've just talked about. I'm going to give you the references. You can look them up, but I'm going to tell you who he's talking to in each of these references. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 3, he asked the question, have you not read? And he says it twice, actually. Have you not read in the law? And he's speaking to the Pharisees. They were supposed to know, right? They were supposed to be the ones who understood really, really well. And he asks them, have, they, have you not read? In chapter 19, verse 4 of Matthew, 
again to the Pharisees, have you not read? In Matthew chapter 21, verse 16, in response to the chief priests and the scribes, have you not read? Again, these are people who should know. In Matthew 21, verse 42, to the chief priests and elders, have you not read? And then finally in chapter 22, verse 31, in response to the Sadducees, have you not read? That's a powerful question, isn't it? We are eager to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. We're eager to hear that. I hope to hear it. I hope to be pleasing to him. But what a different question it would be if we get there. We know who he is. We've trusted in him for salvation. But we're stuck on milk. And we say, Jesus, I'm here. And he said, Had, have you not read? There was more. Welcome. But there was a lot more that I had for you that I couldn't give to you because you weren't ready. And I'm not saying we don't, we don't fight that readiness away from God, but by faithful obedience to his word, he gifts it to us in Christ. Because later in Colossians, we, you know, in Christ are hidden all the, tre- all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Read the rest of the book of Colossians. It keeps coming back. The struggle that they had was a mental, intellectual, even spiritually intellectual struggle. Who has deluded you? Who has disqualified you? Don't let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone come at you with plausible arguments and take you captive. You need to have your mind set on Christ, on the things above where he is seated. Your mind to know him, to understand him, to seek him in his word, to obey the things you do understand, because on the other side of that obedience is more understanding. And the result is when the world comes at you with its temptations and its distractions and its plausible arguments, we're prepared. I said this a lot in South Carolina and the more I've, I've said it, the more I believe it to be true. I, I, I think, I, I believe this with all my heart. There is nothing that the world or the devil loves more than an ignorant Christian. And I would tell the youth group there, don't be dummies. And I'd push them. I'd, I'd, I'd really push them to, to study, to read. They'd be like, we want to play games. I'm like, you can play games on your own time. When you come to church, we're supposed to be here to study. We're supposed to be here to learn about God. Well, I'm going to go to this church because they're playing games. Some parents were upset about that. My child wants to go over here because it ain't no fun here. And I asked the parent this question. And do y'all talk about it at home? Do you talk about it at home? Because if this is the only time they're ever going to hear it, it's no wonder they're bored with it. It's no wonder they're not interested in it. Because you're not. That was the heaviest thing. Like I said, y'all don't hear this as an indictment of y'all. This, this church is the exception by far. But as you're out in the world and you're around people, even if they say that they're Christians... Don't just assume that they know. 
They could be hurting. Paul tells us in, Th- in Thessalonians, I think I actually helped teach this part of this lesson years ago when we were going through Thessalonians. Encourage the faint-hearted. How are we going to know people are faint-hearted if we don't get interested in them? Step out of our little comfort zone. Quit trying to just get through the week and let God get into your week. <laughs> Jenna asked me, she's like, are you going to cry when you preach? Because I, I guess I do every time I preach. I said, no. <laughs> I'm not going to cry. Um, I hope this challenges you. I hope it encourages you all. Because at the, on the other side of obedience and difficulties and trials, there is a wealth and treasure of gems and gold that is the wisdom that God has for us in Christ. And it is far exceedingly more valuable than anything this world has to offer. So I, just, I ask you, just continue. Like Paul said, continue in the faith. Keep going. We're going to have a moment to respond. I'm going to turn it over to Jason and Caleb. But if God's dealt with you, coming forward doesn't mean that you just need to get saved. Y'all know that, right? When we come to pray at the end of the service, it's not just if you need to be saved. If you, this has challenged you as someone, you just want to pray about it, come forward and pray. Jason will pray with you. I'll pray for you. Pray with you. We've got elders here who will happily pray for you and with you. But this is, this is meant to be this spurring on of one another, you know, encouraging one another and you know, pushing each other closer to Jesus together as a body. So take advantage of that. If God challenged you with something today, let us know so we can help you, so we can pray for you about it. Because you better believe I'll be praying this for you. But that's what I hope you'll use this for, is you'll use this to pray for one another, knowing that that's what God has given us as examples of prayer. So thank you all. Let me pray for us, and then Jason, I'll turn it over to you. Lord, thank you for our time today in your word. Thank you for um, the fact that it changes us if we submit to it, the fact that it renews our heart and transforms our mind. It gives us, Lord Jesus, it gives us your mind. God, I pray that we would grow and increase in that knowledge that you would bring about the wisdom of Christ in us as we trust you more. Just, Lord, just not so that we can do anything with it here specifically, but God, to know you. Paul said all the accomplishments that he had acquired were rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Not accomplishing things for Christ, but just knowing him. And God, I pray that's our heart, that we would have that desire to know you. As a deer pants for the water, Lord, may my soul thirst for you. For each of us, Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.